Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey of Toratory. I'm your host, Dan Riley. A few decades back, I read a series of books, The Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East. I had heard the series mentioned a few different times by different authors, mostly while listening to audio programs commuting to work. This book, however, was quite a departure from the business and self-improvement books I was accustomed to reading. At first, I was a bit disoriented by what I was reading. 600-year-old men, an inner-earth society, guardians of the earth, ascended masters. What was all this? More than once, I'd stop reading and glance at the back of the book to be sure it didn't say science fiction or fantasy. It certainly did not. This series of books offered me a vastly different account of our reality than the reality I had been taught to believe in. As I continued to read the series, the shock subsided and I began reading with some interest. But that's all it was, interest. Oh, I guess you could add curiosity. But I didn't believe what I was reading. I have revisited those books several times over the years. And like many great books, I get more out of them each time I read them. No man ever steps in the same river twice, for it is not the same river, and he's not the same man. Heraclitus was onto something. With each subsequent reading, I was beginning to warm to Far Eastern thought. I came to learn the East and West had vastly different understandings of reality. The West, and when I say the West, I'm talking mainly about Europe, North America, and those countries that are still part of the British crown. The East would primarily be the continent of Asia. Let me add this aside. I would add many parts of South America to Eastern thought. Long before the Jesuits. Oh, the Jesuits. That's a podcast onto itself. Strike that. That's a series of podcasts. But before the Jesuits had influenced many of those cultures, the indigenous people practiced shamanism. While a Google search may show this practice to be about 30,000 years old, Practicing shamans of today claim their practice goes back at least 100,000 years. Oral tradition being a major component of their practice, they claim to have an unbroken chain going back that far. In the West, we tend to believe we humans are the highest form of life, that we were given dominion over the earth, that we are God's crowning jewel, that we are separate from the rest of creation that in this vast universe no other planet contains our equal and certainly there are no sentient beings superior to us that existence is limited to this three-dimensional reality that the scientific method reigns supreme if it can't be measured or scaled it doesn't exist the earth is simply a sphere of inert matter that has no independent consciousness the miracles of the sea the soil the sunshine and the rain have nothing to do with the earth but God working through the earth. The earth is essentially a warehouse of natural resources for humanity's use. Any other view would be pagan. Westerners believe there's a spiritual word, but a limited one vis-a-vis -vis the Eastern traditions. All unexplained phenomenon is solely the work of God in a Judeo-Christian understanding. The Eastern view of reality is altogether different. They don't see humans as the crowning jewel of creation. In fact, many traditions hold the belief that we humans would be like earthworms when compared to the spiritual evolution of other species. They believe in a multidimensional spiritual world where all beings of all stripes, sophistication, and evolutionary status inhabit. Plants, animals, all creation have a spiritual counterpart. 
They understand the physical world to be a manifestation of the spiritual world. A rock, a tree, a fence, all have consciousness. And probably the starkest difference between the two views is that the Eastern view holds that we are all connected, that a complex and integrated web connects everything in the universe. Nothing stands alone. Consistent with their view of the world, Western institutions have attempted to convert Eastern cultures to their way of thinking. Catholic missionaries had converted large segments of what were once Buddhist populations in the Philippines, Vietnam, and South Korea. In South America, the Catholic Portuguese Empire and the Spanish conquistadors converted large portions of the Aztec and the Inca indigenous populations. The large shamanic practices in Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela, and Chile were supplanted by Catholicism. Also consistent with their view of the world, Wu Wei, the Confucius name for effortless action, Eastern thought was working its way into Western culture. With the discovery of quantum physics, Westerners had to take a second look at the East. What shamans and the Eastern mystics had been claiming for thousands of years turned out to be true. Matter is mostly an illusion. It is 99.9999999 empty space. It is just another form of energy with a stepped down vibrational frequency. We know now that non-locality is not a theory but a reality. Electrons once paired remain connected irrespective of the distance between them. Change the direction of an electron in San Diego, its twin on Mars instantly changes in the same direction. During the 60s counterculture revolution, Eastern thought continued its inroads into Western thought. Yoga and meditation moved into Western mainstream. The Hindu term guru was commonplace in Western parlance. The stranglehold of a Cartesian or Newtonian model of reality was steadily losing its grip. The Eastern notion of how the world works was gaining traction in the West. Bookstores were chock full of books on Hinduism, the Tao Te Ching, Buddhism, and shamanism. To my way of thinking, the most significant difference between the two theories of reality is this. In the East, they believe there is a whole hell of a lot happening in the unseen world. And what happens in the unseen world are causations of what happens in the seen world. In the West, one must see it to believe it. In the East, one must believe it to see it. Interestingly enough, there have been other books that have remained in print under the radar for about a hundred years which expound on some of the esoteric practices of Eastern and primitive cultures. People who have employed these principles claim remarkable results. In 1921, Genevieve Barrent authored the book, Your Invisible Power. The book chronicles her apprenticeship and what she learned from Judge Thomas Troward. In the late 19th and early 20th century, Judge Troward gave a series of lectures commonly known as the Edinburgh Lectures on Mental Science. These teachings were based on principles taught to him by an unnamed Indian mystic while he was assigned as a divisional judge in Punjab. The central theme of these teachings is what we would call visualization. According to Troward, this term conjures up a much too simplistic understanding of the concept. 
Just seeing yourself in your mind's eye sitting in a blue Jaguar will not bring about the ownership of the car. Many other factors are at play. One must accept their essence as spirit, that they are sparks of divinity. Another foundational concept is the understanding that there is one mind in the universe and that each of us is connected to that mind through our own subconscious mind. One must consciously know and believe that what they desire already exists as an unformed probability in the formless substance that surrounds us, another tenet of quantum physics. And if at any moment one lets fear, doubt, creep into the equation, the high vibrational patterns set forth in motion will dissipate and the vision cannot be realized. Charles Hannell developed the Master Key System in 1912. He initially offered this book as a 24-week correspondence course. Each week, a reader would receive a chapter, which was comprised of about 50 bullet points of hard scientific facts accompanied by his strategies on how to apply those facts to achieve one's personal goals. He would finish each chapter by offering a practice or technique that should be practiced every day until the next chapter arrived the following week. Each subsequent homework assignment was built on the previous week's practice. This layering technique was and still is highly effective. The centerpiece of this six-month course was, again, visualization. But the reader wasn't simply instructed to make mental pictures. They were taught, step by step, over several months, how to go into the silence. Today, we would call this meditation. And how to create mental pictures in their mind. In these modern times, we often hear, oh, just create an image in your mind. Well, that's a hell of a lot harder to do than it sounds. Hanel had an effective technique to teach the process. For those interested in this course, it's still available on the internet today for free as a PDF file. The last book I'll mention is The Science of Getting Rich, written by Wallace Waddles, first published in 1910. The book is still going strong today. Let me read what he repeats several times throughout the book. There is a thinking stuff from which all things are made and which, in its original state, permeates, penetrates, and fills the interspaces of the universe. A thought made in this substance produces the thing that is imagined by the thought. Man can form things in his thought, and by oppressing his thoughts upon the formless substance can cause the thing he thinks about to be created. Those few sentences capture the philosophy he was advancing. It's a small book, and in every chapter, Waddles repeats several times the need to think in a certain way. Yet he never explicitly defines a certain way. It was clear to me, however, that a certain way equals thinking in mental pictures. Here are some concepts all three books have in common. Number one, they contend that thoughts are incipient matter, that they possess electromagnetic properties that have a strong attracting force, that by making a visual image backed with intense belief and faith, the image will begin to attract the combination of people, circumstances, and events that will eventually bring the image into being. Number two, they have adopted the shamanistic or Hindu's monistic theory of the universe, the theory that all is one and that one is all, and that this one substance has an infinite number of manifestations.
Number three, whatever your goal, the mental image created should be of the thing already created or completed. In other words, as an existing fact in the here and now, because it already does exist as an unmanifested probability in the quantum field. Number four, all doubt, worry, and fear need to be cast aside. These states of mind are of a low vibration and are incompatible with the vibrations needed to bring about the vision. Number five, this concept I found most interesting. All three books insist that one should seek to be in a perpetual state of gratitude, that this state of mind, gratitude, is one of the closest in vibrational frequency to the frequency of the formless substance or the infinite quantum field. Number six, to help strengthen the belief in the process, readers should contemplate the growth taking place in nature all around them. Notice the incremental but inexorable growth of the plants and flowers that surround them daily. I'm not sure about 600-year-old men or inner earth societies or gateways to them through the Himalayas, but I do know that we in the West can be very arrogant and tend to discount things that we didn't invent or discover. And if hard science can't prove it, it doesn't exist. We think of indigenous peoples as primitive or savage. We prize technology over nature. And we do this to our own disadvantage. The Eastern cultures have been around many times the centuries we have. In the case of China and shamanism, they have been around for over 100,000 years. I, for one, believe we can learn a lot from the East. And for my part, that's all there is. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, throw off those boat lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the train winds. We're on the move now. We are excited to announce the launch of an odyssey into oratory from speaker to spellbinder. This new dynamic and interactive speech training program was created specifically for the changing world we find ourselves in. In a business career spanning 40 years, from bagging groceries all the way to the executive suite, Dan has attended and delivered several hundred presentations and speeches. Throughout his odyssey, he has completed several prestigious executive speech programs. He is a four-time graduate of the Dale Carnegie course and a decades-long Toastmaster. But most of all, he is a lifetime student of the great orators, past and present. In combining his years of experience, study, and training, he has distilled and synthesized these lessons to create an online seven-week training course. While this course can benefit anyone looking to acquire or improve their public speaking skills, it was designed specifically for those working in a corporate or entrepreneurial environment. With his vast experience in the marketplace, Dan's students will receive insights and communication strategies that are not offered in the traditional speech training program. It is an integrated course in that it includes many other components of personal development that will transform good speakers into spellbinders. For more information on how to enroll in Dan's course, From Speaker to Spellbinder, contact us at anodysseyintooratory at gmail.com. Additionally, you can find Dan's blog at spiritualsideofsuccess.blog.